live from inside your speakers, this is Hardcore Casual, your place for weekly gaming and entertainment news. Please welcome your host, Wack Ops. Greetings from Earth, this is not your leader. My name is Wack Ops. How you doing? Welcome to Hardcore Casual, episode number 23. Woo, by the time this is out, it's going to be Valentine's Day, y'all. So happy Valentine's Day to all our listeners. Shout out to all the new listeners who've been downloading recently. Much love to you on this Monday. Ooh, what do we got to get to in this week, y'all? We got plenty to talk about. We're going to wrap a little bit about the Nintendo Direct that happened earlier last week. We're also going to be talking about Microsoft's announcements surrounding Call of Duty and exclusivity. And then lastly, we're going to be talking about this petition that's going around surrounding Battlefield 2042. Very exciting stuff. Stick around later in the show because we're definitely going to have a review rewind on Ali Ali World. Definitely one of my favorite games so far this year. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. But before we get into it, let me tell you how you can support the show. You can write into the show to our email, whackops at gmail.com. You can also reach us on our Twitter or Instagram at WACOPS, that's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. And don't forget to subscribe, share, download, and review. Of all of those, please, the most helpful thing you can do is share the podcast with somebody you know or somebody you think would enjoy the pod. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our headliners where we tell you what made the front page this week in games and entertainment. And we're going to start off the show, of course, with that Nintendo Direct that we got earlier last week they had a lot of content for us very exciting stuff i'm really honestly happy with this one uh i know a lot of fans were hoping that we would get a breath of the wild 2 reveal that was not the case we also did not get any more news on some other big releases that people have been waiting on such as the metroid prime series or things like that so you know as always with these nintendo directs keep your expectations in check so Let's go ahead and start with the RPGs, some notable ones that they showed off at the Nintendo Direct last week. Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes, that's going to be coming out June 24th. Chrono Cross, the Radical Dreamers Edition, that's April 7th. Triangle Strategy has a demo that is out now. You can play the first three chapters, and the full release is coming March 4th. And then we also got Xenoblade Chronicles 3, that's going to be coming out September 2022. I know that one has been highly anticipated for those of you who loved Xenoblade Chronicles 2, a very popular title, and I believe that's on Game Pass as well. So if you haven't checked that one out yet, definitely give that one a look. We also got a litany of ports that were announced. This is kind of part of the show where I always kind of grit my teeth and wonder how things are going to turn out. But let's hope that, well, at least half of these end up coming out in a very playable, very stable manner. But I have my doubts about a couple of these. So let's run through them. No Man's Sky coming out this summer. Star Wars The Force Unleashed coming out April 20th. Assassin's Creed The Ezio Collection February 17th. MLB The Show 22 April 5th. Kingdom Hearts Integrum Masterpiece For The Cloud is out now. And then, of course, we got Portal companion collection coming out sometime this year we got no release window other than 2022 on that i have my doubts about a couple of these i think no man's sky that's going to be really interesting to see i do like the 360 era of games and how they run on the nintendo switch so there's still some hope for the force unleashed um and kingdom hearts as well but 
No Man's Sky and Portal, those are going to be really interesting. I can't wait to check out um, Digital Foundry's video on any of these when they end up coming out later this year. Also at this Nintendo Direct, they announced plenty of DLC updates and additions to Nintendo Switch Online. So, let's run through them. Cuphead, the delicious last course, finally got a release date of June 30th. Metroid Dread, which is adding a Dread mode and a Rookie mode, which is basically a hardcore, a more difficult and a less difficult mode, and that's out now. And then a Boss Rush mode is going to be coming out sometime in April. Earthbound and Earthbound Beginnings is coming to Nintendo Switch Online right now. It's already out. That's a beautiful thing if you haven't checked out that game. And then, of course, we have the Mario Kart Booster Course Pack. It is basically the battle pass for Mario Kart. That's right. You're not getting Mario Kart 9. This is for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And the first wave, the first eight of 48 different courses that they're adding to the game is coming out on March 18th. You can buy this for $25 or it will be free with Nintendo Switch Online Plus Expansion Pass. So that expansion pass is coming up in value. It's looking a little bit more uh, worth your money as the days go by. I'm still undecided on whether I'm going to get this Mario Kart Booster Course Pass because it looks fun, man. It, it really does, but I hate when they get me with nostalgia. Nintendo is like the king of nostalgia. But you have till March 18th to decide before the first wave comes in. 48 tracks for 25 bucks, I think, is, is a decent proposition as long as you haven't bought Mario Kart like two or three times. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the major announcements and gameplay reveals. These were the four big games that I thought were most interesting. So first, Splatoon 3, they did a preview of their multiplayer mode. It's going to be called the Salmon Run Co-op mode. And that's, again, Splatoon 3 coming out this summer. I know a lot of people have been waiting a long, long time for Splatoon 3. So I'm very excited for that fan base. Next, we got Mario Strikers Battle League. That's coming out June 10th. Really cool stuff. I'm glad that there's another Mario Strikers. We've been waiting for one to be added to the Switch, a new title in the series. And this one looks pretty good. You can play with up to eight players on one Switch, which I thought was really cool because most of the time uh, you can, I think it's like six at most. We also got Nintendo Switch Sports coming April 29th. This one is... I checked the price because this one I'm definitely going to be picking up, and I was super hyped when I saw this. For those of us who grew up with the Wii, I think as soon as they came with like Wii Bowling and, and uh, Wii Golf is going to be added later in the year, I, I think a lot of us were like, damn, I think I'm giving Nintendo my money for this, this series of mini games, essentially. That one is actually going to be priced at $40, not a full 60 so that is really exciting. Uh, for me, anybody who's in the Wii generation, I think everybody a little younger than that, you might think we're silly for this game because it, you know, it's fun, but it's not anything special. There's definitely plenty of other games with more in-depth mechanics. It's a, a bit gimmicky. It comes from that era of motion controls and things like that. So we'll see. Can't wait to play that with uh, with the house. Definitely get a group of friends together. I think that is a great game to play when you get tired of Mario Party and Mario Kart. <laughs> Um, and then lastly, the one that everybody walked away from talking about, that was Kirby and the Forgotten Land. That's coming out March 25th. I'm definitely picking this one up, an open world Kirby game. 
Now, <laughs> the big thing that everybody uh, memed online this week was Kirby and its mouthful mode. Essentially, you stretch Kirby over objects rather than, you know, turning into something different. You literally turn into a car. I, I'm excited. You get to play as a car, a vending machine, a light bulb, a paraglider. Um, it's basically the same mechanics that you saw in Mario Odyssey, where you threw the hat and turned into something. Very similar to that. So, for those of you who are wondering what this next Kirby game is going to look like, what it's going to play like, I'm really excited that they added something a little new to the series. But, we're going to have to wait and see when it comes out again on March 25th. Now, that's enough of the Nintendo Direct. There's plenty more that they showed, but I just talked about some of the mainstays, some of the, the big set pieces that they put on display that I think most of you would find some interest in at some point. But let's go ahead and move into our next story, which, of course, is Microsoft and what it had to say about Call of Duty remaining on PlayStation. I'm going to read you a quote from Brad Smith, that is president and vice chair of Microsoft. Quote, to be clear... Microsoft will continue to make Call of Duty and other popular Activision titles available on PlayStation through the term of any existing agreement with Activision. And we have committed to Sony that we will also make them available on PlayStation beyond the existing agreement and into the future so that Sony fans can continue to enjoy the games they love. We are also interested in taking similar steps to support Nintendo's successful platform. We believe this is the right thing to do for the industry, for gamers, and for our business end quote. Really uh, a big sigh of relief by a lot of the PlayStation community. <laughs> there was also another reaction by the Xbox community and some uh, some Xbox fans are being extra toxic about this and feel all betrayed, which makes no sense. I don't know why you guys are picking teams or something like this. If you want to pick teams and root for somebody who doesn't care about your interests, maybe uh, watch a sport or something. You know what I mean? But as far as this is concerned, it, it's not really even a point. We've talked about it the last few weeks on the show, but I want to make something very clear. This has much less to do with Sony or Nintendo in particular. This is about regulation. Microsoft is bending over backwards to appear like the good guy in the marketplace to avoid increased scrutiny from regulators, not only in the U.S., but in Europe and Asia as well. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the console wars, but this is, like I said, it's so much bigger than the plastic box under your TV. This is about the regulation of app stores and other online storefronts and their ability to favor their own products, aka Apple, Amazon, and Google. And when comparing itself against other major players in big tech, Microsoft wants to show that it's ready and willing to abide by whatever regulations that governments around the world put in place in the next few years. If you look into Epic versus Apple, Facebook's continued fight in Europe, or other cases that involve antitrust in the last few months and years, it's clear that Microsoft is desperately trying to get ahead of the narrative that they are a monopoly and want to separate themselves from other trillion-dollar companies that are widely viewed as anti-competitive. You know what I mean? This statement was not for Xbox or PlayStation owners nor was it for Call of Duty fans. This statement was blatantly aimed at regulators and lawmakers as a sign of Microsoft's willingness to conform to any antitrust measures that are put in place. 
Now, it's up to you whether you believe them or not. You know what I mean? Personally, I I think they're doing the right thing in bad faith. But at this point in the game, like, I'm not really sure I can be too mad about that because they're, again, a trillion dollar company. Why would I think they would act in good faith in the first place? You know what I mean? So to me, this is a good thing for gaming. But let's hope that it's not... um, I guess a trap for lack of a better term. I hope that regulators still step in and double check their work essentially, because if this ends up being one of those Amazon type situations with Microsoft in the gaming space, that that's not going to be fun for, for a lot of us. You know what I mean? Eventually that will come back around and bite us in the ass. So let's hope that this kind of business and the way that Microsoft is doing business continues into the future and isn't just a way to skate past this regulation real quick and so that they can turn over and make it exclusive. I still have my doubts. We're going to have to see what it looks like in the future, but you know, this this sounds like a pretty serious statement. If you read the entire statement, it definitely was very adult. You know what I mean? They were talking to investors, they were talking to other people, other than people who, like, just buy the Microsoft, you know, gaming console. Like, it's so much deeper than that. But, speaking of Call of Duty, we got one more story about Call of Duty. I know it's been a lot of that the last couple months, but I didn't buy Activision, so don't blame me. <laughs> Activision Blizzard almost, kinda, sorta, confirmed that Call of Duty 2022 is going to be Modern Warfare 2. And they also went ahead and confirmed, more or less, Warzone 2. So, during a roundtable discussion with Warzone leadership, dozens of journalists and content creators sat down with their team and other Call of Duty devs to discuss the future of Call of Duty. Now, first things first, plenty of quality of life fixes are coming to the current Warzone in Season 2, which I think drops sometime in the next 10 days or something like that. But there's plenty of quality of life uh, fixes coming, which is great. Um, I think there are plenty of times where, you know, the more games you stack on top of that Warzone engine, the less, you know, smooth the experience is going to be. But talking about the future, they basically said they confirmed that Call of Duty 2022 is going to be a sequel to Modern Warfare 2019. Now, they didn't necessarily say quote-unquote modern warfare 2 those words were not spoken but it is for sure a sequel to 2019 so very exciting stuff i'm definitely going to be picking this one up because modern warfare 2019 is actually what got me back into the franchise uh i was off of it for a while once i saw like jetpacks and stuff like that i was out i couldn't i couldn't do it i might as well be playing halo if that's the case so call of duty 2022 and warzone are actually going to be developed and designed together from the ground up um they're going to be using a new engine to power both of them as well as introducing a new sandbox mode in battle royale and a new map in addition to other huge changes that they did not specify so for those of you who love warzone uh very exciting stuff for you i'm not a warzone guy i'm not a battle royale guy but i really hope this means good things for the classic multiplayer as well because i know a lot of Longtime fans, that's really what they like to play. It should be noted that the original Warzone was not designed to integrate with future titles. Warzone 2 will be 
built with this in mind. Uh, and lastly, because for some reason people were asking this, Warzone, the current Warzone weapons, skins, operators, all that stuff are not going to be integrated into Warzone 2. It is going to be a clean slate, fresh start. Uh, so those of you who poured a lot of money into Warzone, sure, that's a little disappointing, but end all be all, like, I think you kind of knew this was was coming with a new console generation coming out and the timing of things. I think if you were paying attention, the writing was more or less on the wall in this one. Don't believe the hype out there. There has not been any official reveal, no art artwork, no logo, no concrete mentions of the name Modern Warfare 2, anything like that yet. So definitely keep that in mind. Leaks, rumors, and false reports are rampant right now, but this is enough information to get yourself excited. Keep an eye out for official reviews from the Call of Duty brand, because everybody else I feel like is uh, grasping at straws. A lot of content creators are trying to sift through all the misinformation that's out there regarding uh, Call of Duty after this uh, call went out to different content creators and stuff. But with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into our next break. Please stick around because we're going to be talking about Battlefield 2042 and this incredible petition that they have going. Uh, we're also going to be jumping into our review rewind on Ali Ali World. Uh, we got a great, great breakdown of that game coming up for you, as well as our trigger warning topic of the week, which is going to be all about difficulty, accessibility, and getting good. So please stick around for that. Until then, my name is Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. Welcome back, everybody. Let's go ahead and jump right into our Word on the Street segment where we talk rumors, gossip, and controversy. First thing up that we're talking about in the Word on the Street is all about the Grand Theft Auto Trilogy Remastered Collection and how many copies it sold. According to VGC, it could be upwards of 10 million copies. I'm going to read you a quote from VGC. Quote, in an investor presentation released on Monday, Rockstar owner Take-Two published updated lifetime shipment figures for Grand Theft Auto V and the wider franchise. According to the latest figures, the GTA series has now sold in over 370 million units, including over 160 million copies for GTA V. The figures are up from 355 million for the series, that's an additional 15 million, and 155 million for GTA V, that's an additional 5 million. Which Take Two reported last November just prior to the release of the GTA Trilogy Remaster Collection. That means the GTA series has sold an additional 10 million non GTA 5 titles since Take Two last provided sales figures. So while sales of older GTA games can't be discounted, it's likely that GTA The Trilogy, the definitive edition, accounted for the vast majority of the 10 million non GTA 5 series sales during Take-Two's most recent quarter, despite a poor reception from fans and critics. So, with all those numbers, basically it amounts to there's a good likelihood, more than good, pretty solid likelihood that 10 million copies have been sold since the release of the GTA Trilogy, the definitive edition. God, I hate saying that name. It's such a mouthful. But, obviously this is a problem, y'all. 
10 million copies were sold of this broken, atrocious game. You know what I mean? Like, straight up. Like, this was a famously bad release. Like, if this wasn't a remaster collection, you know what I mean? If the price was more, or if or if we hadn't just dealt with Cyberpunk, or if this was a new release, bro, the, no one would let this slide. You know what I mean? It was a very broken, not well put together port of a mobile port of the game. You know what I mean? Like it's it is not all it could be or all it should be. And this is why we haven't gotten a new GTA in nearly 10 years. And why we will continue to wait for GTA 6 and Elder Scrolls 6 and Mario Kart 9 and other long-awaited franchises, bro. Until it is no longer profitable for companies to remake or remaster old titles, we will continue to wait. If you want fresh IP, new stories, innovation in gameplay, any of that, we'll have to stop buying Skyrim. We have to stop buying GTA. We have to stop buying Mario Kart 8 Deluxe if we want new titles. Let publishers know that we want new games. I understand nostalgia. I really do. But unless you want the gaming industry to look like the film industry full of terrible worthless remakes of things we've seen a thousand times then we have to be smart and vote with our dollar because it is clear to many of us that these companies are not motivated by anything other than the bottom line you know what i mean and we have to incentivize them properly we got to stop buying 10 million copies of bad games you know what i mean great games but like hardly playable you know what i mean and that's not just for me that's from like all kinds of different gamers from all kinds of different tastes like not very playable i would prefer to play the older games you know what i mean like the new visuals aren't doing enough for me to to feel like that is justified anyway let's go ahead and talk about another broken game because we're talking about a petition that's going around for battlefield 2042 i know we've been talking about battlefield 2042 quite a bit in the last few weeks but this this is a doozy Battlefield, there's a petition essentially calling for refunds of Battlefield 2042 by paying customers, and it has gotten well over 100,000 signatures. Now, I'm going to read you the full petition before I give you the the full numbers. Uh, This is directly from change.org. Quote, EA's release of Battlefield 2042 was a mockery of every customer who purchased this game for $70 USD. Due to EA's false advertising, Battlefield 2042 has cost customers millions of dollars in damages and upset thousands of customers worldwide. According to many consumer reports, Electronic Arts and DICE did not keep many promises made at launch, and Battlefield 2042 was launched as unplayable. Even today, Battlefield 2042 has bugs that drastically change the in-game experience so much that it is deemed an unfinished release by many community members. In fact, Battlefield 2042 was so poorly made that even Steam, a highly reputable provider of PC games, allows customers to get a full refund. Signing this petition will get you one step closer to getting a refund on Battlefield 2042. Suppose this petition receives 50,000 signatures or more. In that case, one of the best class action lawsuit lawyers in the country is willing to take on our case against EA. Signing this petition is the equivalent of saying, I wish I got a refund on this game. Please sign this petition if you feel you deserve a refund for Battlefield 2042. 
The gaming community should not tolerate this abuse and bullying from multi-billion dollar corporations who make unfinished games and false advertisements. Now, a quick note. Outside of all the, you know, gripes that they have with EA, which are all 100% valid, um, they also said one of the best class action lawsuit lawyers in the country would be taking on their case against EA. Uh, that language has changed since the, this petition went up. Uh, that language has changed to something like, I will look for a good class action lawyer. So there's not necessarily a class action lawyer that was lined up um, for this petition ahead of time. And I don't know that it's going to go to court, but check this out. The signatures as of this recording are nearly 178,000. That's a lot, dude. Like that, that's a lot of people who heard about this and really hopped on considering they were only looking for about 50 K. Now, personally, I think if they get a quarter million signatures, then you'll see some kind of comment from EA at best but at worst they get even half a million and it still won't matter they won't care because how many more consumers how many copies did they sell you know what i mean they didn't give us the sales numbers but i bet it was probably over a million you know what i mean so if that's the case like this isn't even most of the community either way that is a boatload of signatures <laughs> and I hope this does actually bring about some litigation because EA gets away with this very often. I do find it hard to believe that EA would ignore this situation entirely, but no, no refunds are going to be handed out. I don't believe that. Um, I do believe it's going to kill the Battlefield IP. I don't know that Battlefield is going to be able to survive this, you know? And more than that, I think EA potentially, if this kind of habit continues, if like, two more live service games get launched and they're they're prematurely launched or or not maintained in a reasonable amount of time i think it puts ea in a vulnerable position you know what i mean like a vulnerable position in terms of being acquired you know what i mean because eventually enough of these news stories come out sales go down your stock price goes down and then all of a sudden we're looking at an activision situation with microsoft that is scary right so with this pattern of misleading customers and its history of unkept promises, I think EA is in danger of losing a healthy portion of its customer base. You know what I mean? I'm excited to see what happens with EA and uh, EA and Ubisoft because I think those two are the companies that a lot of people are looking, kind of hope get acquired <laughs> for some reason, just because they're not very good companies. They People have a lot of gripes with them, not only from the products they produce, how they handle difficult situations, how they treat their workers. There's like up, down, left, and right. There's different problems with both of these com these companies. Um, Activision, by being acquired, kind of sidestepped a lot of their um, the stuff that, that's been going on in the news with them. You know what I mean? Now there's no more calls for Bobby Kotick. That's not their narrative anymore. So it's, it's going to be interesting moving in the future with EA. I, I think... I think this is going to be problematic for them in the next two years. They better get it together. The, that, that next battlefield, it better be the super heat. You know what I mean? Crazy. It, it better do crazy numbers. Otherwise, there's going to be a problem. But that's enough gossip and controversy for one day. Let's go ahead and jump into our review, Rewind, where we revisit the community response to the latest game releases and bring some titles to your attention. And this week, 
is all about one of my favorite games this year, Ali Ali World. Now, if you're not familiar with Ali Ali World, it is a side-scrolling skateboarding game, but a lot of a lot of texture to this title. So let's get into it. Let's talk about it. The Ali Ali franchise gets a much-needed facelift with its latest skateboarding side-scroller, Ali Ali World. Ali Ali World is everything fans of Ali Ali 1 and 2 love with a radically new art style, fleshed out customization and accessibility options, and a killer soundtrack. For those of you who are new to the franchise, Ali Ali World is a fantastic on-ramp to what is an incredibly simple and relaxing side-scroller with hours of challenging gameplay for those of you looking for more. This game is a perfect junk food, snack-sized game for harrowing hardcores and filthy casuals alike. Now, as far as how reviewers are receiving it and different outlets, the Open Critic score sits right now at an 85, with 96% of critics recommending. So, although they don't think it's a absolutely, you know, one-of-a-kind game, they definitely think everybody should give it a try, as do I. So let's go ahead and get into some of the pros and cons of the game, starting with the pros. Gameplay. With controls that are easy to pick up but hard to master, Ali Ali World balances the relaxing, in-the-flow style of gameplay with the speed, precision, and challenge of input-heavy rhythm-based games. For longtime fans of the franchise, you will find that some more punishing aspects of the game have been replaced with a more forgiving style. But in exchange, you will find a much more fleshed out experience with challenges that require perfect execution, as well as a much more rewarding leaderboard-centered challenges found in the endgame. And for newcomers, you will find the controls easy to learn, as the game does a fantastic job of gradually introducing more complex aspects of the game as you feel yourself becoming a true skate god. Now, let's talk about another pro, art style. If you've played either of the first Ali Ali's in the series, you know there was one aspect of design that was not the focus of the franchise to this point. Art design. While the originals certainly have their own charm to them, Ali Ali World is on a whole nother planet. With an art style that mirrors that of Adventure Time and other popular animation, Ali Ali World is an inviting, carefree aesthetic that younger and older gamers can both enjoy. Developer Roll7 created a textured, fascinating world of diverse environments and colorful characters. By providing players with a bevy of customization options to choose from, it is easy to fall in love with Ali Ali World's impressive sense of style. Soundtrack. For all the praises that one could say about this fun-filled skateboarding side-scroller, it has to be the soundtrack that really brings it home. Ali Ali World's lo-fi hip-hop beats and snappy up-tempo sounds allow players to lose themselves in the flow as they pop, slide, and grind their way through its crafted environments. It is rare that I find a game that doesn't make me want to skip at least one track, but Ali Ali World is one of the few games with wall-to-wall bangers. It is with this fire soundtrack that Ali Ali World becomes one of my favorite games to play when I just want to chill out and have a good time. Now, let's get into some of the cons. There aren't many, but they're definitely worth noting. Story and narrative. A new introduction to the Ali Ali series is narrative. While in past titles, your only objective was to play each level with no characters or narrative involved, Ali Ali World introduces story, characters, and motivation behind your progress in the game. While I do find the overall story arc to be fun, there is simply too much dialogue before and after each run for me to give the narrative 
any of my time. There are certainly some moments of note that involve your character and their journey to become the skate wizard of Radlandia. Unfortunately, it is all the minor chit-chat that really doesn't lend itself to the gameplay style. While some characters are endearing, I find that I could have done without much of the smaller story beats. It is a true testament to how fun the gameplay is that I simply could not be bothered with the cutscenes or dialogue happening amongst my crew of friends. And the last con is performance, specifically on the Nintendo Switch. Even though I find Ali Ali World to be a wonderful game to have on the Nintendo Switch, there are some clear drawbacks when it comes to performance. While in handheld, there are times when it can be cumbersome to perform more difficult stunts with the Joy-Cons. It also can be hard to see smaller details while moving through the levels as fast as you do in Ali Ali World, being that the Switch's screen is only so large. Although the frame rate stays at a solid 60 FPS in most instances, I find that the load times can be a bit slow when trying to enter and exit any particular level. When docked, the game is a solid 1080p, but for those who want to experience Ali Ali World at its best, I would advise purchasing on PS5 where the game runs at 4K120. Though, if you are not concerned about the highest possible graphical fidelity, deciding to purchase the game on the Nintendo Switch, I would advise you play with a Pro Controller or risk brutalizing your Joy-Cons. So, what's my take at the end of the day? Ali Ali World is perfect for any gamer looking for a title to drop into and zone out after a long day at work. A great game to balance out those chunky open worlds, crunchy tactics, and ever-expanding narratives found in other games. Ali Ali World brings it back to basics. An incredibly chill soundtrack marries perfectly with the Adventure Time art style, and when you find yourself in the flow, it's hard to find another game that brings you as much joy as you tell yourself just one more run, over and over again. This game is my new favorite mindlessly fun game, not asking me to commit to a 100-hour playthrough. Though, you can easily find dozens of hours of fun if you want to challenge yourself and compete against other skate wizards to climb the leaderboards. I love Ali Ali World and would recommend it to just about anyone who loves video games. With that, we're going to go ahead and head into our second break. And when we come back, we're jumping straight into the trigger warning topic of the week, which is difficulty, accessibility, and getting good. So please stick around. My name is Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to Hardcore Casual. My name is Wack Ops, and we're about to jump right into the trigger warning topic of the week. The trigger warning topic of the week is where we dissect, deep dive, and discuss one story that deserves more attention. This week, we're talking all about difficulty, accessibility, and quote-unquote, getting good. Now, first off, before we get into it, I want to be clear. I am not discussing censorship, such as cut content, nor am I discussing back-end multiplayer technologies like skill-based matchmaking. I am leaving those off the table for this discussion because I think they are fundamentally different topics of conversation, and accessibility has its own unique challenges and nuances that deserve to be highlighted in a fair, open, and compassionate manner. So, how did we get here? Why, why am I talking about it this week? Well, earlier this week, 
Sifu, Metroid Dread, and Dying Light 2 all introduced either difficulty setting variation or more in-depth accessibility options. And though much of the community was supportive of these changes, there is still the unyielding dogma that is the get good ideology. Now, some of you might not know what I'm talking about. So those of you who are unfamiliar, let's do a little refresher. There are certain games out there that are designed specifically for the purposes of being challenging, even brutally so at times. The reason for this, from what I can tell, is it provides gamers that are willing to put the time in with a sense of accomplishment in overcoming challenges presented to them. Examples of this include Ninja Gaiden, Super Meat Boy, Cuphead, as well as the famous Dark Souls, Sekiro, and Bloodborne series. This kind of mentality can also be found in pretty much any online competitive multiplayer game, shooters, fighters, RTS games, etc. But those are a discussion for another time. There's nothing inherently wrong with these games. Many gamers enjoy these games and love to feel the rush of finally beating a boss that's crushed you 30 times. But a problematic notion of pride begins to emerge when a gamer ties this feeling of accomplishment to their self-worth and identity, oftentimes using this as a reason to look down on others. Again, let me be clear, there is always and will always be a place for this style of video game. It has more than earned its right to exist within the medium, as much as simulators, management games, sports games, shooters, fighters, whatever game you consider in any other genre. The issue with the get good crowd that I and many other gamers have is the sense of entitlement that has been associated with the ideology in recent years. Many people in this mindset see accessibility and difficulty settings as an affront to their accomplishments. More than that, they go out of their way to make other gamers feel as though they are unworthy of experiencing a video game for the simple fact that they are not skilled enough, interested enough, or simply do not have the means to be able to play the game at all. The Get Good crowd could have easily been given the benefit of the doubt just a couple of years ago, prior to accessibility features becoming more common in gaming. But today, with it being at the forefront of many gamers' minds when a game is announced, there is no longer any excuse for this toxic behavior. Thanks to people like Steve Saylor and able gamer Steve Spawn, accessibility is something that development studios proactively tackle rather than shy away from as they did in the past. Get Good, as a concept, is problematic for the simple fact that it excludes not only the differently abled, but also gamers that have other restrictions that have nothing to do with how able-bodied they are. Parents, students, people in poverty, children, older gamers, and basically anyone that is time poor all have restrictions that don't necessarily afford them the time, space, or energy to quote-unquote get good. The Get Good crowd is inherently a very privileged group. You must have the time, attention, ability, and space to be able to get good. For those of us who can't pour dozens of hours a week into a single game, we are essentially deemed unworthy or undeserving of participating in the communities that are created around any particular game. I believe many of these Get Good folks are generally young, and or without other responsibilities in their lives that would otherwise hinder their ability to improve at any given game. This privilege blinds them, not allowing them to see what life would be like if they found themselves without the time or access to be able to play the games that they love. 
For most of us, gaming is a leisure activity, allowing us to relax or escape from the pressures of our daily lives. For those without such pressures, gaming can fill that role, becoming something they tie their identity to. To wrap up, I I really just want to ask some questions of those gamers who do feel that others should just get good at video games in order to enjoy them. What is being taken from you if others are allowed to enjoy video games? Why do you get offended at the notion of difficulty and accessibility settings? What value does gatekeeping bring you as a gamer? And why shouldn't people with different means be allowed to participate in your community? Now, you heard what I think. I want to hear what you think. Go ahead and holler at me. Don't hesitate to come join us and be a part of a growing community. And don't forget to support the show. You can write into the show to our Gmail. That's wackops at gmail.com. You can also hit us on our Instagram and on our Twitter. That's at wackops, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. If you're showing love, I need the sub. If you're trying to holler, I need the follow. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to comment. And if you're liking what we do, please download, share, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy podcasts. Now, before we go, we got to get to the weekly Twitter poll. Last week's question, if you could only play one game this month, what would it be? With 73% of the votes, Horizon Forbidden West has won. Of course, Elden Ring came in second place. Not too surprising there, but 73%. I was I was kind of shocked that that many people... Um, that the gap was that wide between Horizon Forbidden West and Elden Ring. Now, this week's Twitter poll, which newly announced game from last week's Nintendo Direct are you most excited for? Xenoblade Chronicles 3, Earthbound, Mario Strikers Battle League, or Nintendo Switch Sports? Please don't forget to support us and go visit our Twitter page and participate in our Twitter poll. Now, I gotta go. But I will leave you as I always do with the shout out of the week where we give people their flowers and hold them up high. And this week, it's all for you. All of our new listeners, followers, the subscribers, downloaders, a thousand times. Thank you. Your support means the world to me. The best way to support the show is to share it with somebody that you know. And it warms my heart to know that all of you have chosen to introduce this podcast to someone in your life. I can't wait to see this community grow because I cannot do it without you. So once again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I will see you guys next week. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific time for the latest episodes of Hardcore Casual. But with that, I'm Wack Ops. This is Hardcore Casual. Have fun, be cool, and stay dangerous. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hardcore Casual. Join us next Friday with your friendly neighborhood news aggregator, WACOPS. You can also follow us on social media at WACOPS, on Instagram and Twitter. Support the show by downloading, sharing, and reviewing. Available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and Stitcher. See you next week.